If you've guessed already by the, uh, by the sermon uh, passage this morning from Luke chapter 24, and also from the other scripture readings, that today is Ascension Sunday. Um, now, unfortunately, this means that it is the last Sunday of Easter, um, but now we get to look forward to next week, which is Pentecost, the coming of Christ's Spirit to all the church. And this sermon will be a little bit different from usual. I'll not be, I'll not be going through verse by verse through Luke 24, 44 through 53. But we'll be using it to set the stage for the doctrine of the ascension more broadly. And when we think about the gospel of Jesus, we can often neglect this event, this ascension of our Lord. So I want to highlight the importance of this event and hopefully be able to glean some practical applications for you to take home with you. So let's pray. Most merciful Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. And today we thank you especially for his ascension into the heavenly places. And what that means for us as his people and for the world as a whole. And I pray as we listen to these words spoken this morning. That our hearts and our minds can meditate on the word of Christ. And that our word, that word, will dwell in us richly through your Holy Spirit. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So the ascension of Jesus Christ is an extremely important event in history. And Ascension Sunday has often been ignored by a lot of evangelical churches in America. You might have noticed this growing up. We don't really talk about the ascension. And there are various reasons of this, I'm sure. But I remember being in, uh, in India a few years ago on a mission trip. And we would go from village to village. And we would present the gospel to a bunch of people who've never seen uh, a white person, let alone heard the gospel before. And so we're preaching, and in between these villages, we, we stopped for some lunch. And I remember Pastor Roy, the, the pastor in, in India at the time, he, he would stop us and he'd ask... Why is it that you neglect the ascension of Jesus in your gospel presentations? And I didn't have an answer for him at the time, at least not one that wasn't embarrassing. But it was a good question. It was a pointed question. And the point being that the ascension of Jesus Christ has implications for not only the gospel, but for those who hear it. The gospel really isn't complete without the ascension of Jesus Christ into the heavenly places, without the ascension of the fully human and fully God into the heavenly places. So the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven is a doctrine that is implied all throughout the New Testament. It's not explicitly mentioned as often as, say, the resurrection is, but it's implied throughout the New Testament in the mention of Christ's kingship, his kingship. Because the ascension of Jesus Christ is the coronation of Jesus as king over heaven and earth. And this truth has immeasurable implications for our lives. Because we do not have a king who is wholly other than us. We have a king who is fully human and fully God. We have a king who is like us. We have a king who has taken upon himself our humanness, our suffering, our grief. And has glorified humanity by taking us up with him into the heavenly places. Our king is fully human and fully God. And he is sitting on the throne of heaven right now, ruling and reigning. 
And this morning we will consider three aspects, if, you want, if you're taking notes, we're considering three aspects of the ascension and what it means for us. First, the ascension means that we have an advocate with the Father in heaven. We have an advocate with the Father in heaven, and he's there right now, advocating on our behalf. Second, that this advocate, in this advocate, we have the promise or pledge of future glory. We have the promise or pledge of future glory. And finally, that this advocate has made us partakers in his heavenly life through his spirit given to us. So first, let's tackle what it means for Christ to be our advocate. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John says, And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the word advocate in the original language, I'm not going to bore you with all that, means intercessor or could mean a legal representative, similar to a courtroom trial situation. And we see this kind of language in 1 John chapter 2, this trial-like scenario at play. We are on trial before God's judgment seat, but we have an advocate with the judge in heaven. And Paul uses this same language in Romans chapter 8 verse 34. When he says, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And this little line, who is even at the right hand of God, that's where the ascension is. That's the ascension of Jesus. And the line, who also makes intercession for us, is the result of of this risen and ascended Christ being seated beside the Father in heaven. Our Lord pleads our case. He pleads our case, not because there's anything in us that is worth pleading for, that is deserving of pardon, not because there's anything in us, but because He is the righteous one, and He has taken us up in Himself in the ascension. He is our righteousness, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the one who covers our sin before the Father. And this was one of the functions in the Old Covenant of the high priest. If you'll remember back to the book of Leviticus, he came before God as a representative of the people of Israel to offer sacrifice for the sins of the nation. He was a representative on the Day of Atonement, for example. Now, of course, the high priest would have to be cleansed himself. He wasn't perfect. He'd have to be cleansed before he could do this on behalf of the nation. And this sacrifice was done once every year because of the temporary nature of of blood sacrifices. But the writer of Hebrews mentions this sort of representation. But he mentions it in a different way when he talks about Christ's sacrifice. He says, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another, but once at the end of the ages he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So we can see this sacrificial dynamic in the ascension of Christ. The ascension of Jesus was an ascension of the final high priest into the most holy place, the true most holy place. 
Jesus, the perfect one, the representative of Israel, of God's faithful people, through the sacrifice of the cross and his resurrection, is able to take humanity, not not, a, not into a copy of the most holy place, not into the temple or to the tabernacle, but into heaven itself. There's no veil. The Lord stands with humanity in him before God in heaven. And this one-time act of our great high priest secures for us an eternal advocate before the Father in heaven. This priest doesn't leave the most holy place. In the old covenant, he had to leave eventually. He couldn't stay there forever. But he doesn't leave this most holy place. He doesn't stop advocating before the Father in heaven on our behalf. He continually does so. And he is our righteousness, and he always stands, or sits in this case, before the Father in heaven. So what does this mean for us? What does this advocate mean? Well, one thing it means, it means that when we confess our sins, like we did this morning... That the Father is faithful and just to forgive us all sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In the Old Covenant, when you would sacrifice an animal to God for your sins, the animal represented you. He represented how you should die, how your blood should be spilled for your sins. The blood of the animal covered your sins in a way, but Christ Jesus is the final sacrifice for us. And the final sacrifice for sin. His blood covers you. His blood covers you. He represents you before the Father. If Christ never ascended, you would not have that representative. If He never ascended, you would not have that representative in heaven who pleads your case. Because your case is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. Because of Christ's ascension, God is faithful and just. To forgive you all your sins. But Jesus is not just our advocate. Before the Father. He is also our pledge. Our promise of future glory. Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 4 says this. But God who is rich in mercy. Because of his great love. With which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing passage. If you want to sit back for a minute and just be in awe of what Paul just said there. Jesus has brought humanity. He's brought human flesh with him into heaven in his body. And because he has done this, we too will follow the same path to glory. He says, and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this is what it means for Christ. This is what it means for Christ to be our pledge of future glory. We will follow the same pattern as Jesus, as Jesus uh, made an example for us. We are brought from death to life. We are raised to walk in newness of life in Christ. And we ascend into the heavenly places in Christ. We participate in all of this by His Spirit, but eventually we will experience it in body as well. 
after the resurrection and judgment on the last day. And Christ's ascension is this promise that this will happen to all of God's people, to all those united to him. And with this promise or pledge come all the benefits of this ascension. To sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven is to rule and reign over all creation. And Paul says that God has made us sit together in Christ Jesus. In other words, we share in his rule over heaven and earth. One commentator put it this way, quote, God always intended that his human creatures should inherit the world, the created order, to rule over it with wisdom and gentleness, to bring it order and to enhance its beauty. In the ascended human Jesus, that vision is in principle realized, end quote. So the original mandate to be fruitful and multiply and to subdue the earth has always been man's mission. And with the fall of man in Adam, a new Adam was needed to restore humanity and to reorient us to fulfill that mission. And the ascension of Jesus Christ is the capstone of this work. It's the capstone of this work to do just that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given, has been given to this new man, this new Adam, this new Adam. And we share in his mission to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey all that God commanded them. And that is the mandate to subdue the earth and cultivate it. Our Lord Jesus was exalted in his ascension. And as one theologian put it, quote, his ascension is our ascension. That he ascended up on high means that we have the right in him to follow him in glory, end quote. So in other words, in other words, the church follows her Lord in all that he does. In all that he does. And this includes the ascension. In fact, when we say that we partake in the life of Christ every Lord's Day, in this service that we're in right now, what we mean is that we are partaking of a future glory that is promised to us. We partake of the cross in our confession of sin. We partake of His resurrection in our absolution. And we partake of the ascension in the words, Lift up your hearts, we lift them up to the Lord. We ascend into the heavenly places in Christ Jesus by His Spirit. And at the end of history, this will be fully realized when heaven and earth meet and all creation ascends in glory and all becomes the most holy place. So this is our pledge in Christ's ascension. And this brings us to the last point. That the ascension of Christ allows us to participate in heavenly life on earth. It allows us to participate in the heavenly life on earth. And this is possible because in his ascension, he promised the giving of his Holy Spirit, which was given to the church at Pentecost. And through his Spirit, we become partakers of Christ's ascension, his heavenly life. And this heavenly life isn't merely restoring man back to his original state. It's not just making him into Adam again. It's restoring man, it's recreating man, all together in this new Adam, this new Jesus, this glorified humanity. 
And we can see this imagery quite well in the location of this ascension. There's growing evidence that Christ's uh, crucifixion actually took place on the Mount of Olives. On the Mount of Olives. And that's the place of Christ's high priestly prayer, if you remember in the Gospels. It's also the place of Christ's ascension. And new humanity, heavenly life, begins again in a garden. Our Lord was killed and his bride was formed from his side in a garden. Our Lord was buried and raised in a garden. And our Lord ascended into heaven from this garden. So with his ascension, he promised the coming of his breath, the coming of his spirit, to be not only a helper to the church, but the divine power of God to make us, make us partakers of the divine life, the divine nature, the heavenly life. And Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 says it this way. His divine power has given to, all, to us all all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And Luke, Luke records Jesus as saying that the church will be endued with power from on high. That is to say, with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. This promised power will aid the church in her mission to subdue this earth with the gospel. But this power will also make us partakers of the heavenly blessings. The fruits of the Spirit and graces of God. Now, to be, to be partakers of the heavenly life in Christ by the Spirit is to be evermore purified and glorified into the image of our Lord Jesus. Again, we're following in His steps. We're becoming more and more like Him. The, the promised Spirit causes us, in other words, to set our minds on things above. To seek heavenly things. To be conformed into the image of our ascended Christ. And this Spirit of heaven is what empowers the church to bring about what our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because our Lord is in heaven right now, He sends His Spirit to be with us. He brings heaven into our lives. In John chapter 14, our Lord says, I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper, that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor hears Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So when Jesus talks about sending his spirit, he's talking about him coming to you. His spirit brings Christ. Our Lord Jesus has come to us in his spirit. And this is what the ascension secures for us. The spirit of God and the heavenly life united to our king. So how can such a beautiful event... How can such a, a monumental event in human history be ignored in our culture? Well, one of the things, and it's fairly obvious, is that it points to the kingship 
of Christ over all areas of our life. It points to his kingship. And that's a hard truth to swallow because that means a lot of things. In Christ, there is forgiveness of our sins. He's an advocate of righteousness with the Father. In Christ, there is a pledge that we will be glorified as he is glorified. In Christ's ascension, he promises to send us his spirit from heaven to empower us to seek heavenly things, to become more like him. And all of this has to do with Christ's kingship. Because he is king over everything and because we are united to him, we have the responsibility to fulfill his mission, to obey his commandments, and to, in all things, seek heavenly things. A life of bearing your cross, but a life that leads to glory. So, Christians, you are not your own. That's the point that the ascension is making. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, in all things that you do, do unto Christ, who is the author and finisher of your faith. So the implications of the ascension are cosmic. With forgiveness of sins and the promise of future glory comes responsibility. Responsibility only given to princes and to kings. The ascension means that your time is not your own. So don't waste it. You've been given a task to subdue this corner of the world God has given you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is your responsibility as the people of God. And that doesn't mean you have to stand on a street corner and open air preach every Saturday. But it does mean that you must work your job with integrity and honesty. It does mean that you must work your home. Do work at your home with diligence and without complaint. It means, children, that you must respect your father and your mother. And you must work hard in your school studies and obey their words. The ascension means that your work has eternal impact. It has eternal impact. This world isn't going to be burned up and done away with. That's not how it works. With the end of history, when the end of history comes, and our Lord Jesus unites heaven and earth, he will create a new heaven and a new earth. And the treasures of the nations will be gathered as an offering to him. And that includes your faithfulness. That includes your work here on earth. What you do in this life, on this earth, matters. So those dishes that need to be done, need to be done with a grateful heart. Those diapers that you have to change, do so with joy. That job at work that no one wants to do, you do it. And you do it cheerfully. All of this has eternal impact. Every single action. Because you are united to Christ in heaven. And he's, been, he's given you his spirit to change the world. So little acts of faith, like doing the dishes cheerfully and gratefully, that the Lord has blessed you with so many dirty dishes and people who do that for you. Doing that has eternal impact. That changes the world around you. Seeking heavenly things instills virtues in your children, for example. 
Seeking heavenly things pleases God and causes him to bless those around you. Setting your minds on things above comforts those who can see the hope of Christ in you. When you sin, confess it. When you sin against your son or daughter, you ask God for forgiveness and you ask them for forgiveness. You show them that you are subject to a king in heaven, to a higher law, a greater authority, and that they are too. They're not just subject to you, they're subject to Christ in heaven. When you show your boss that you're willing to do hard work and not complain, that is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom in a real way. When we show the world that we serve a king who has authority over every aspect of our lives, from vocation to education to your household, down to your manners, your speech, and your joy, you minister to the world around you in a real way. You herald the authority of Christ the ascended Christ, and the gospel of the kingdom to everyone around you. The ascension of Jesus into the heavenly places is the climax of the Easter season. And it's the promise of the Spirit of Pentecost to come. It says that your righteous advocate is in heaven right now, ruling and reigning over all things. Nothing is out of his control. Nothing takes him by surprise. It says that he loves you so much that he brought you with him into the heavenly places and has seated you with him on the throne of heaven. It says that he will not leave you nor forsake you and has promised and has given his spirit as a comforter and help to mold you into his image, to make you more holy and blessed and glorified. It says that your work in this world matters. And since you have been united to Christ, It is all work for his kingdom and for your good. Now set your eyes on things above, on your ascended Lord Jesus Christ, your promised inheritance kept in heaven for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.